I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the 23rd number psalm. To the 23rd number psalm. If you're anything like me, you'll turn on the radio or listen to a song in your car. And because that song creates such, invokes such incredible emotion in you, you immediately contemplate to yourself, you, you immediately think out loud, that's my jam, that's my song. For me, it's, it's anything boys to men. I guess I'm dating myself. Uh, when I hear, please don't go, y'all remember that? Uh, I'm like, that's my jam. That's my song. Well, the hymns, the, the Psalms were ancient Israel's hymn book. And if your song made it to the Psalms, then the book of Psalms, then that was a top 40 hit back in 20,000 B.C. or whenever these Psalms were written. So in a lot of ways, the Psalms that we read, because they are included in the book of the Psalms, someone had the foresight to think to themselves, that's my song. I should put it down for perpetuity. And I hope that upon reading Psalm 23, that after we take a look at it with, through fresh lenses, all of us would be able to exclaim together, whenever we hear it, whenever we read it, that Psalm 23, that's my song. I hate to, can you just indulge me? I hate to bring my traditions on you, but, but at Central. Whenever we read the word of God, in honor of the word, we stand together and read it. Thank you so much. Psalm 23, and I personally, I personally, because I'm a bit of a traditionalist, think the only way that Psalm 23 should be read and the only version that Psalm 23 should be read in is in the King James Version. So I'm reading it out of the King James Version. It's something so poetic about the King James Version. Psalm 23, it reads this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My crop runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to breathe a word of prayer. We'll be seated, and then we'll all listen attentively to what God has to say. Will you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for this day for the opportunity to worship you, Lord God, and for you alone are worthy of our worship, for the opportunity to give to you, Father, for you alone are worthy of all that we have, and now for the opportunity through your spirit to worship you through your word, Father God. We pray that through your spirit, Father, you would teach us new and powerful things contained in your word, and that we would leave this place forever changed, Father God. And our prayer this morning this right now, and as always, that whenever your word is read, that whenever it is explained, that you would be exalted. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all who are God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. 
If you've ever been to a funeral, then you are familiar, extremely familiar, with Psalm 23. Psalm 23, according to the minister's manual, is the suggested reading for any occasion of mourning. Psalm 23 was read by William H. Border, the, William, the Reverend William H. Border, at the funeral services for Dr. Martin Luther King. Some of you remember watching the homegoing services of Whitney Houston, and Psalm 23 was read then and there as well. Psalm 23 is read at the funeral for kings, for dignitaries, for presidents, for senators, for governors, for all people in high places. Psalm 23 is so associated with occasions of mourning and death that you would almost think that Psalm 23 is the psalm of the dead. But Psalm 23 is not the psalm of the dead. It is the psalm of the living. Psalm 23 invites us all to look towards our future with great expectations. Some of you in your present state right now are dealing with extreme difficulties that come with life. And you in your present state right now have very little to look for, to, towards forward to in your future. You see only gloom and doom. In fact, your tomorrows you do not anticipate with wide-eyed expectation, but Psalm 23 invites us to look at our tomorrows with wide-eyed expectation because God can do for your tomorrow what your today lacks. If you are looking for a reason why you should have hope in your future, if you are looking for a reason why you can look at tomorrow with great expectations in spite of everything that you're dealing with today, then Psalm 23, that's your psalm. Psalm 23 is a psalm of trust. It does not voice a prayer, nor does it make a petition. It's simply the psalmist words to God of how he will live in confidence in the future in light of who God is. We are told in the superscription of the psalm in the introduction that the psalm is penned by David. You know who David is. David was the prodigy, the poet, the warrior, the king that God called to shepherd his people Israel. But before David was king of Israel, we are introduced to David in the book of Samuel when Samuel calls David from the pasture. He is actually shepherding his father's Jesse's flock. So David knew something of what it took to be a shepherd. In fact, when he is about to face Goliath, the behemoth, the giant, Saul asks him, why do you think you are now qualified to face this giant of a man, Goliath? And David said, because I'm a shepherd and because I had to face lions, tigers, and bears out in the wilderness. And it's not difficult to imagine that David's experiences as a shepherd, as he sat back and thought how he had to protect, provide, and defend his sheep, that what he had done for his sheep, God had also done for him. That's why he can exclaim that God is the Lord, is my shepherd. Psalm 23 makes a series of 
personal declarations that I want us all to adopt as our own. David makes some affirmations about God based on the character of God. And these affirmations are what causes David to look towards his future with great expectation. And I want these affirmations to jump off the pages of Psalm 23. And I want us to claim them as our own. The declarations that David makes, I want us to make collectively as well. The first affirmation that David makes is found in verse one, and that's the affirmation that God will take care of him. He says that in the big part of verse one, he says, I shall not want. To be in want means to be in lack, to be in need, to be deprived of. The the NIV translates this phrase, I lack for nothing. David says as he looks towards his future, He's not worried about anything because he trusts that God will provide everything that he needs. David makes this claim, not because he thinks of himself as being able to provide for his own needs. David is not dependent on himself to provide for himself in the future. Rather, David makes this claim because he says he has a shepherd. He says in the A part of verse one that the Lord is my shepherd. David is is actually making a confession about himself as well as making a declaration about God. Shepherds don't look after lions. Shepherds don't look after bears. Shepherds don't look after sharks. Shepherd tends to sheep. So at the same time, David is making the declaration that the Lord is his shepherd. He's also confessing that he is a sheep. Now, you know, sheep are dumb, docile, domesticated, defenseless animals. And and they have what is known as a wandering instinct, which means that they will follow anything in front of him. And David is confessing that when it comes to life, He he doesn't always have the right answers when it comes to the things in life. He, He doesn't always know how to get out of the bad situations that he's in. When it comes to life, sometimes life overwhelms him and sometimes life is too much for him. David is confessing that sometimes like a sheep, he needs a shepherd. And if you're honest with yourself, if you look at your battle with life, the journey that you're on, you'll have to confess like David that sometimes life is too much for you. Sometimes life overwhelms you. Sometimes life gives you more than you can handle. You don't always have the answers to the problems of life. You don't always have the solutions to the things that you go through. You, like David, need a shepherd. David is confessing, I'm a sheep, and that's bad news. But at the same time, he's confessing that he's a sheep. He's also confessing that he has the the right shepherd. In the ancient world, shepherds were known for their bravery and their ruthlessness. But shepherds were also known for their care and their compassion. Shepherds were looked up upon in the ancient world. In fact, there was no greater compliment that you can pay a king in the ancient world than to call him a shepherd. So in calling God his shepherd, 
David, the king of Israel, let that marinate for a little bit. David, who has no authority over him, the king of Israel, says that he needs a shepherd, which says to me that there is no position that you find yourself in life regardless of how much money you have, regardless of how on top of things you are, where you don't need a shepherd. You and I will always need a shepherd. It's only children who think that they don't need anybody, that they can make it in life on their own. When you get good and grown and you see how difficult life is, then you confess, I need help and I need a shepherd. And David, even though he's at the pinnacle of his position, he's the highest that he can be, says that, that I need a shepherd and God is my shepherd. And the things that David used to do for his sheep, God now does for David. God cares and, and provides everything for David. And God has been doing that for Israel. Isaiah 40, 11 says this about God. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those who are with young. And God is not just any type of shepherd. God is a good shepherd. Remember what Jesus said about himself in John 10? He said, I am the good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. And it's because God is this good, good shepherd. David says, I shall not want. David is not going to worry about how he's going to pay his bills in the future. Why? Because he has a shepherd who can take care of him. David is not going to worry about whether or not the rents do. Why? Because he has a shepherd who can take care of him. David is not going to worry about how he's going to put food in his table or how much money he has in his bank account. Because why? He has a shepherd who can take care of him. And God has a history of taking care of people, even when they didn't have anything. Remember Israel in the wilderness? They were in the wilderness 40 years with only one set of clothes and one pair of shoes. I got shoes that, I, that break apart in two years, let alone 40 years, but this is Israel's testimony after they came out of the desert wandering for 40 years. Deuteronomy 2.7. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He watched over your journey through the vast wilderness. And for 40 years, the Lord God has been with you and you have lacked for nothing. Paul has a similar testimony in Philippians 4.19. He says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And if God can take care of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And if Paul's confession is that God can meet all of his needs, don't you think that whatever you're going through right now, whatever needs you have in your life, God can take care of that as well? There's a flip side to this confession. If you say that God is your shepherd and that you will knack for nothing, the opposite side of the coin to this is that if God hasn't provided something in your life, if you've been praying about something and God hasn't given it to you, if you think you need something and you don't have hold of it yet, it's not because God is a negligent shepherd. It's not because God is asleep at his shepherd post. It's because you, you really 
don't need it. If God hasn't given it to you yet, it's not because God is unable to provide for it. It's because God and his sovereignty, God and his goodness has deemed that it's not necessary for your well-being. When I was in the sixth grade, I played on my first basketball team. As, as any athlete will tell you, it's not just important that you play good on the court, it's also equally important that you look good while playing good on the court. So I had to ask my mom for a pair of brand new Air Jordans, and back then those Air Jordans cost $150, and right away my mom said no. <laughs> so I tried to convince her of my absolute need for these Jordans. I said, Mom, if you don't get me these shoes, I won't be able to play like I should. And she told me, if it takes shoes to make you play better, then you're no good to begin with. <laughs> I then tried to convince her that people wouldn't like me if I didn't have on the right pair of shoes. And she told me, if people like you because of the shoes you have on, then you don't need those friends to begin with. And finally, I came up with the argument that I thought would absolutely convince her that I needed these Air Jordans. I told her, Mom, if you don't get me these shoes, I'm going to die. <laughs> and she looked at me, paused, and said, let's see. <laughs> it's been 20 years plus since that event happened. And I'm still breathing. <laughs> My heart is still beating. And the very pair of shoes I thought I would die without, turns out I didn't really need them because I'm still living. What is it in your life that you think you'll die without? Is it a relationship that you think if God doesn't give you right now, you'll die without? Is it extra finances that you think if you don't get right now, you'll die without? Is it some pleasure that if you don't think you get it right now, you'll die without? Well, if God hasn't provided it, then that's his subtle way of saying to you that you don't need it. You can live without it. Because the Bible says that God is able to give us the good things we need. In the Psalms, Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. If God hasn't given it to you, and we know that he's a good God who gives us what we need, if God hasn't given it to you, chances are, that's his way of saying that you don't need it. You can live without it. With verse 1, David declares that God will give him the things that he need. And in verse 2 and 3, David illustrates this truth. In verse 2, he says that the Lord will make him lie down in, in green pastures. Green pastures describe lush pastures. Most of the day, sheep are wandering, looking for food. A good shepherd will lead him to a fertile field where they can lie and eat all they want to. And there's such an abundance of grass that they can stay there and rest. But sheep not only need fertile fields and green pastures so they can have all that they need to eat, sheep also need still and calm waters by virtue of how they drink. 
Rushing water will either sweep the sheep away and cause them to drown, or rushing water will enter into their nostrils and they will drown that way. A good shepherd will lead his sheep to still waters where they can drink and be satisfied without have to, having to worry about drowning. But not only does God provide, a, as a good shepherd, sheep with food and water, text also says that God provides them one strength. The text says he restoreth my soul. Sheep wander all day looking for food. And at times they get tired, so tired that they just want to sit anywhere and rest and not continue. David says he, he knows something about that. When David looks at the journey ahead, what life has in store for him. He's almost to a point where he wants to give up. He just wants to sit there and rest. He can't continue. Have you ever been in the place where David is, where you've been walking down a road for so long that you get tired and want to give up? David says to us, whatever you do, don't give up because God has a way of giving you strength when strength is needed that if you simply walk with God, then God will make sure that you have enough strength to complete your journey. But not only does God provide food, water, and strength for the journey, he will also lead you in the right paths. In verse four, three rather, he says, he leaded me in the paths of righteousness. Right paths are the paths that lead to the place that where God intends for us to go. Right paths are the paths that go in the right direction in life. Sheep have a, a wandering instinct, which means that they will follow anything in front of them, which means that sheep have to be careful of who leads them. I once heard of a, a group of sheep, 450 in, in Turkey. Their shepherds went away to have breakfast and one sheep started grazing and, and eating and he walked to the point where he was at the edge of a cliff and walked off. And you know what all those other 449 other sheep did? They followed that lead sheep and walked off the cliff. And since we are like sheep, I know sometimes in your life you've walked off a cliff too. Have you ever followed the wrong person? who led you into the wrong place and had you doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. David says, left all alone, he will follow the wrong person who will lead him into the wrong place, who will have him doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. David says he doesn't have to worry about being led in the wrong direction with God because God knows where he's going and God will lead him in the right direction. I was journeying one time driving from New York City to North Carolina for a conference. And I know the way to North Carolina like I know the back of my hand. I can almost make that drive in my sleep. When I get to DC, I take the Beltway, go through Baltimore, hit 95, and then I'm riding all the way to North Carolina. But my GPS, my, I call a lady Google, told me at the next exit, get off while, before I got on the beltway. And I thought to myself, lady Google don't know what she's talking about right now. And I kept on riding. I got to the next exit. She told me, get off. Like, lady Google, I know what I'm doing. Stop talking to me. 
I'm going to keep going the way I want to go. Third time, Lady Google told me, get off. And I was like, ah, maybe. All right, I'm going to listen to what Lady Google says. And she put me on this little side road, and I'm riding good. You, you know what it feels like to be riding good? What, you're going 60, 70, 75 miles an hour, no cop in sight. You just riding <laughs> You just riding good. I, I got through D.C. in 45 minutes. But as I was going out of D.C., I turned on the radio. And the radio said that there was a three-hour delay on the Beltway because of some accident. Lady Google had led me in the right path. And I learned that day never to argue with Lady Google. She knows what she's doing. But as much confidence I have in Lady Google, I have even more confidence in God. God ain't never led me in the wrong direction. Whenever I follow God, God always makes sure I get to the right place, the right time, and where I need to be. David says he trusts that God will lead him in the right direction so long as he follows. David says he's not going to worry about anything in his future because he's going to trust God to take care of everything. That's the first declaration he makes that God, I will not want, I will trust God to take care of me. But that's not the only declaration he makes. David, in verse 4, says that he's not going to worry or be anxious about the uncertainty that lies in the future. He says in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice that the imagery has changed in David's life. David is no longer in lush pastures. He's no longer by still waters. He's no longer in a peaceful and, sir and sirene scene. Rather, instantly, in the span of one verse, the scene in David's life has changed from comfort to one of unknown instantly. And it can happen that instantly in your life too. One day, Everything can be going great in your life. One day things can, can't get any better. You have all the money you want. You have everything that you want. And then instantly, just like that, you can be transported, carried into a dark valley, unknown, uncertain. But David says, I'm not going to be worried in my dark valley because the same shepherd that was with me in the green pastures the same shepherd that was with me in the, by the still waters is the same shepherd that is with me in the dark valley. David says God won't let you walk through the dark valleys by yourself. And because God is with David in the dark valleys, David declares, and what you and I should affirm, that I will fear no evil. The word evil can describe that which is morally or ethically not right. But in this case, the word evil describes catastrophe, tragedies, bad things that can happen to you in the future. What David is actually saying to us when he says, I will fear no evil, he's saying, I will not fear the uncertainties that lie ahead. He will not fear any things that, that you and I typically worry about. Worry and doubt 
creep into our mind because we don't know what lies in the future. And David confesses, I don't know what lies in my future. The place is dark, but I do know who I'm going into the future with. And because I know who controls my future, I won't worry about my future. I like how the King James poetically captures the image. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They're describing the uncertainty as it really is. It's, it's, it's a shadow. It's darkness. And the reason they can be so intimidating is that we don't know what lies ahead. What David is probably describing, continuing the sheep and shepherd imagery, is of a shepherd who would take a sheep into a crevice or a cave looking for water. And in that crevice or a cave, it is very dark. And predators would hide behind rocks waiting to ambush a sheep. And sheep being very timid, every sound that they hear, they're alert and they're jumping. And that's how David sometimes feels in life that he's walking in his life's journey and he hears rumblings and because he doesn't know what it is, he jumps and, and is timid. But David is right to, to, to place them in, in this type of poetic picture. He says that the dangers lie, that lie ahead aren't real, they're just shadows. They aren't real, they're just shadows. J.B. Phillips describes shadows correctly when he's commenting on Psalm 23. He says that the shadow of a dog cannot bite you. The shadow of a gun cannot shoot you. And the shadow of something lurking in the dark cannot hurt the child of God. Whatever you're afraid of this morning, it's just a shadow and it can't hurt you. The shepherd is with you, exploring the dark, making sure there's nothing lurking in the crevice. The shepherd is with you, shining his light in the dimly lit places, making sure that nothing doesn't jump out and hurt you. And the shepherd is not only knows where he's going, but he's also equipped to handle all the dangers that lie in your dark places. Notice David says that, that the shepherd has two instruments, two pieces of equipment with him. The first one is a rod. Now, a rod was this long, blunt instrument that a shepherd would use to strike predators. In fact, uh, people who study shepherds in Africa say that African shepherds can wield a rod with such force that they've been known to kill lions with it. But a shepherd not only has a, a blunt instrument to keep us protected from predators from without, he also has an instrument to keep us protected from another potential danger, the staff. You know what a staff is, right? It's this long wooden pole type instrument with a hook at the end. Now that hook is used for taking sheep who have lured off and bringing them back to the safety of the fold. It's used for getting sheep who are stuck in positions that they put themselves in and bringing them back into the safety of the fold. And, and David says that, that my shepherd, who can protect me, not only protects me from dangers from without, but my shepherd also knows how to protect me from dangers that are within. Because you do know sheep sometimes don't always look where they're going. You do know sometimes that, that sheep has a tendency to get into places where they shouldn't be. 
You do know how, how sheep have a tendency to put themselves in danger. And you do know I'm not just talking about sheep. <laughs> that it's not just sheep who can be a danger to themselves. We can be a danger to our own selves. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. But isn't it good news that we have a shepherd who can protect us from us? God with his staff is able to keep us from dangers that are within. If you go to Vancouver, you'll have the opportunity to climb what is known as the gross grind. It is this hiking trail up top this very steep mountain. When you climb up the gross grind, there are several little pathways that you shouldn't take. And on each pathways there, that you shouldn't take, there are signs in multiple languages, German, English, French, Spanish, that tell you do not enter. And if you, for whatever reason, ignore those signs and decide to continue anyway, you'll find a barricade that blocks your entry. And if you decide to ignore the sign and ignore the barricade, you'll find a fence where you have to climb that keeps you from entering. And if you do decide to ignore the signs, ignore the barricade, ignore the fence, at the end of the place where you shouldn't be at to begin with, you'll find a security guard asking you, what is it that you want? Aren't you glad in your life when you get yourself in places you shouldn't be, God is at the end of your journey keeping you from you? God is at the end of your journey telling you, what is it that you want? God has a way of protecting sheep, not only from dangers that are without but God has a way of protecting sheep that are from dangers that are within. I know I don't have a lot of time, but, but can I show you one more thing? David says that in his future, he's not going to worry about anything, but rather he's going to trust God to provide him with everything. That in his future, he's not going to worry about unknown things because he's going to trust that God will protect him. And David also says his final declaration that we should affirm with him is that in his future, he believes that his future days are better than his former days. That's how I read verse six. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, the imagery again changes, but this time the entire imagery changes beginning in verse five. David is no longer a sheep with God as his shepherd. Rather, David is invited to a banquet and God is his host and God is the best host that David has ever had. David says that 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 God anoints his head with oil. This was a sign that at a banquet you, you, you were an honored guest. And not only does God anoint David's head with oil, every time David gets thirsty, God puts more juice, more wine, whatever they were drinking in his cup to the point it overflows. David is a special honored guest at a banquet. But notice he's not alone, that even though he's the favored guest at the banquet, God has other people sitting at his table. For whatever reason, God has chosen to place David at the same table with those who oppose him with his enemies. What kind of host would do something like that? 
when my wife and I got married, we, we were assigned the task of doing the seating arrangements for the people who were invited. And if we knew that this person didn't like that person, we would make sure to sit this person at one end of the banquet hall and that person at the total opposite end of the banquet hall because no one wants to sit at tables with their enemies. E even the United Nations know this. When, when warring countries are, are at war with each other and they have a special banquet, they'll sit one country at one end and the other country at the total opposite end. You as a host are not supposed to have people who don't like each other, enemies, sitting at the same table. What kind of God would let you as a guest of honor sit at the table you're at? And then the answer came to me. God will let you sit at the table before your enemies because God knows he can bless you in bad situations. God doesn't have to change your situations to bless you. God can bless you in your bad situation. God doesn't have to change your bad marriage to bless you. God can bless you in your bad marriage. God doesn't have to change your financial status to bless you. God can bless you while you're broke. God doesn't have to give you a job to bless you. God can bless you in your unemployed status. God doesn't have to change your bad situation. God can bless you in your bad situation. David, because he believes that God can bless him in his bad situation, declares unto God that you, you the best host I've ever had. Therefore, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in your house. You, you, you can do whatever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, that's David's personal affirmation. At regardless of what happens in the future, where he's at with God is where he'll be forever. I ain't going nowhere. You know what we would call that today? We would call that a guest who has overstayed his welcome. I've had one of those before. When you come to my house, I try to treat you like a king. You know, I sit you at, at my chair, let you put your remote, let you put my remote control in your hand, and, and I got every channel. I got a big 60-inch TV, I got HBO, I, I got Stars, I got Encore, I got all the sports channel, NFL network. I let you sit down, I let you sit, let you watch all the TV you want. I get you food, what you want to eat? Chinese food, whatever. And I had a guest who came over and I lavished him with all the generosity that I could. But you know, after a while, it's time for him to go. <laughs> so you give him the, the universal sign of it's time for you to go. Like, oh, oh, oh. Whew. But he didn't get it. He turned on the TV. He was like, ooh, you got HBO, Pastor? I'm like, yeah, 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 I got HBO. So, so he watched television for an hour, and after an hour, I, I kind of did it again. Oh, oh. Man, I got to get up early in the morning. Oh, for real? Yeah. You got something to eat here? Yeah, I got something to eat. So went and got him something to eat. An hour later, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. I am sure getting sleepy. And he was like, that's okay. Go ahead, man. I, I, I'll lock up when I go. And finally, I had to tell him, look here, 
<laughs> you ain't got to go home, but you got to get up out of here. <laughs> you have overstayed your welcome. But the good news with, is with God. If you declare like David, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, you don't ever overstay your welcome. God won't ever ask you to leave. In fact, God wants you to stay in his house for as long as you want to. And I know I'm right about it because Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And here's the good news. And where I am, there you may also be. When you come to God's house and you want to make it a home, God won't ever ask you to leave. Jesus wants you to stay with him forever. Amen and amen. Yeah.